theyeshiva.net. Please note that the next two Tuesdays there will not be a class. I will be out of town. So please share that with your friends or relatives who attend. That's the next Tuesday and the subsequent Tuesday. I simply won't be here, so I'm sorry. And uh, God willing, we will resume afterwards with new vigor. Today's class is dedicated by uh, dear friends, Sammy and Lori Friedland, in the loving memory of their parents, in honor of their yard site, Reb Chaim Meir, Ben Shlema Zalman Friedland, Zechreina Levracha, and Shana Rachel, Bas Reb David Eliezer Simon, Zechreina Levracha. May their memory be a source of blessing and inspiration to their beloved families and all of the Jewish people. Amen. There's an old anecdote about a little boy who was afraid of the dark. And one night, his mother told him to go out to the back porch and bring her the broom that she left there on the porch. The little boy turned to his mom and says, Mother, I don't want to go out to the back porch. It's pitch dark. And the mother smiles and reassures her son, and she says, You don't have to be afraid of the dark My dear angel, remember God is out there on the porch. He'll look after you. He will protect you as you go out and retrieve the broom. The little boy looks at his mother really hard and he says, Are you sure that he's out there? And she says, Yes, I'm sure. God is everywhere. He's always ready to help you when you need him. Don't worry, he's out on the porch as well. The little boy thought about it for a moment. He goes to the back door of the porch, cracks up, opens the door a little bit, peering out into the darkness. He calls out and he says, God, if you're out there, as mom says, please hand me the broom. Okay, it's anecdote number one. Anecdote number two was a line I saw by Mark Twain. Mark Twain said there are two types of speakers those who are nervous, and those who are liars. Another line I saw, and this one is by the great mystic uh, Jerry Seinfeld, who said that according to most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. People's number two fear is death. Death is number two. Public speaking is number one. This means that to the average person, if he goes to a funeral, he would feel better off in the casket than doing the eulogy. I share all this because of the following scene I want to address. The Jewish people are standing on the eastern side of the Jordan River directly across from a city known as Yerichai, or Jericho in English, they are finally poised to enter into the promised land. It's been a long journey. It's been an arduous journey, a difficult one, a challenging one. It lasted four decades. It wasn't planned that way initially. The Israelites were destined to settle 
their land shortly after their exodus from Egypt, after Yitzhiyah Mitzrayim. But when Moshe spent, sent scouts to view the country, to scout the country, and bring back a report, and they returned and struck tear, fear, and terror into the hearts of the people. They described how mighty, how awesome, how fearful the inhabiting, the inhabiting nations were. It really demoralized the people who were drained from their momentum and excitement of entering into the land, and in lieu of that, overtaken by extraordinary dread and fear that paralyzed them. I want to remind you, quote a few lines of what the spies said when they returned. It comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 13, Parshas Shlach in Bamidbar, Perik Yud Gimel. The spies describe how good the land is, but Ephes, ki az ha'am However, the people who inhabit the land are az, as are Mighty, powerful. Ha'arim p'tzuras g'doylois ma'oid. The cities are huge and fortified. Meaning they're big, powerful cities with lots of people and fortified well. No way to conquer. Gam yilidei ha'anokra inusham. And we even saw the offsprings of giants. So it's not just the cities are fortified. There are people who are mighty and powerful. They profess tremendous strength. And the result is, they say, We cannot ascend. We cannot make aliyah. The bottom line is, the nations living there are more powerful than we are. Chazak, stronger, mimenu than we. This is the language that they use. And describing these features of the land strikes absolute terror into the hearts of the Jewish people. They have the words, they say, It's a land that eats up its inhabitants. The people that we met there were all men of great stature, great size, again, great physical, muscular power. We saw the giants, the son of Anok. In our eyes, we seemed like grasshoppers. And so we seemed also in their eyes. This was a terrifying report. It basically described the strength of the enemy, and it hit the spot. It hit the mark, as we say. The Jewish people lost their morale. They ducked in fear, and they proclaimed their yearning to return to Egypt, rather than having all of them and their families, their wives and children, slaughtered by the enemy in the land of Canaan. God says, indeed, they won't enter the land. Paradoxically, what they wished for was given to them. They didn't enter the land. Their fear would cause their defeat. We spoke about this many times. It wasn't just a punishment, it was a consequence. Because if you believe you can't, You can't. If you believe you can, you can. They would remain in the wilderness for four decades and only their children, those who were younger than 20 at the time, which means they were children when they left Egypt, children till 20, 
the younger people, they are those who would enter the land, and of course all those who would be born in the subsequent 40 years, who weren't 20 at the time, or 19 at the time, but weren't even born, they would enter the land. 40 years later, the moment arrived. You can appreciate that if you were 19 years old, when the story of the spies happened, 40 years ago, 39 years ago, by now, you're close to 60. You survived the whole debacle. You left Egypt, you were a youngster. You watched a whole generation of men perish in the desert. Maybe your father, your grandfather, your great-grandfather, whoever it is. And now a new generation is about to enter. Many who weren't in Egypt, they were born in the wilderness. But many who were in Egypt, they were one years old when they left, or five years old, or ten years old, or fifteen years old, or eighteen or nineteen years old. They were young, they remembered. And now they're about to enter the land, literally in a few days or a few weeks. Moshe would pass away on the 7th of Adar, and one month later, right before Pesach, they would enter into the land. They would cross the Jordan River from east, the eastern side of the Jordan, to the western side of the Jordan, called Ever Hayarden Ma'arava, enter into Jericho, Yericho, and enter the land. And at this fateful moment, as they stand poised to fulfill the dream, that they have been awaiting decades, Moshe, their long-time leader and shepherd, speaks to the people. He speaks to the people. And this is what he says to them in this week's portion, in this week's parsha, Ekev. And I want you to listen carefully to the words. I'm going to quote a few of the verses of Deuteronomy, the beginning of chapter 9. Ekev, parsha Tess. Pasuk Aleph. Moshe says, and I quote verbatim and translate, Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, you are crossing today the Jordan. Lovoy to come, Loreshes Goyim Gdoilim Vatsumi Mimeka, Orim Gdoilois Uvtsurois Basha Moyim. You are coming today, you're crossing the Jordan today to come. And possess nations greater than you, stronger than you, more powerful than you, entering into cities that are huge and fortified up to the heavens. I'm Godol Varam. If you didn't get it yet, let me explain. I'm Godol. Colossal nations. Varam, towering nations. Bnei Anakim, offsprings of giants. You know, and you have heard that big question, who in the world can stand up against the children of giants? They're too powerful. And Moshe says, I want you to know, I want you to know that it's God who will, who will uh, pass, who will walk, so to speak, before you as a consuming flame. He will subdue them before you and you will be able to possess the land as God has told you. When you read and you look at Moshe's words, it's nothing short than mind-staggering because he is repeating almost verbatim Whose words? The words of the Miraglam. 
when you, when you compare the two stories, he's almost repeating their words, using the terminology that they invented, that they introduced, and saying it to the people. What was said 39 years earlier and caused an unparalleled catastrophe affecting Moshe as much as anybody else. It derailed Jewish history from its course. Moshe repeats this word, these words. And one wonders, after everything that the Jewish people have been through, Moshe repeats, and as I said, almost verbatim, the terrifying and powerfully detrimental words that really sowed terror and dread and demoralized the entire nation and dissuaded them from the ability to stay on course and to fulfill their ultimate destiny, a destiny that was already promised to their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that will they will enter into the promised land. The last person we would expect such words from is Moshe, the faithful shepherd of the Jewish people, the one who was most devastated by the sin of the spies, the one who was most affected by it. Don't you remember, Moshe, what happened last time when someone stood up and told these guys, told all these Jews, about the giants and the offsprings of giants and the mighty muscular men and the fortified cities. Don't you recall how they all succumbed to paralysis, stagnation? They lost their faith. They became hopeless. They surrendered to despondency, to melancholy. Melancholy. They just continued to weep the entire night. What is even more strange is there are, there are expressions that Moshe uses here in his sermon or in his presentations that even the spies did not dare to say. Moshe not only repeats their words, he even adds to their words. For example, they told the Jewish people, if you go back to Parsha Shlach, quoting again, Arim G'doylois, Arim, Arim B'tsuras G'doylois Ma'id. The cities are Ptsurois. Ptsurois means fortified. Gdailois, big, ma'ait, very big. Large, very large and fortified cities. Moshe adds, Arim Gdailois of Ptsurois Bashamayim. Not only are they huge, not only are they fortified, they're fortified up to the heavens. That's a different level of fortification. Talk about drama. Talk about inculcating Fear? That means basically, you're not climbing those walls. You're not breaking that siege. You're not breaching that fortress. What is also fascinating is that Moshe doesn't communicate this message in passing. He communicates it emphatically in a clear, organized, decisive and powerful way, in a way more than the spies, because how does Moshe begin the conversation? Moshe begins this conversation and he says, Shema Yisrael. I don't want anybody to miss this. It's not like, you know, I, <laughs> I have to say it, I want. Shema Yisrael. Hear, O Israel. I want you to hear. What do I want you to hear? 
I want you to hear that you're going into what you would say in simple English, an impossible situation. You're not going into an easy terrain. You're going into cities that are fortified. Nations that are not big and strong, they're bigger and stronger than you'll ever be. Let no Jew miss this message. Now, how many times does it say in Chumash Shema Yisrael? Anybody knows? <laughs> Shema Yisrael is not a regular term that's used. Moshe speaks to the Jews hundreds of times, over 40 years, probably more. Thousands of times, thousands, thousands, thousands. The word Shema Yisrael represents something very special. Usually Hashem speaks to Moshe, Moshe speaks to the Jewish people. But there are a few times he says Shema Yisrael. Anybody knows how many times there's Shema Yisrael in Chumash? Huh? Well, you all know one Shema Yisrael, right? And today you learned about another Shema Yisrael. Huh? Four times. Four times in Chumash do we have Shema Yisrael. It's four times in the Torah, all in the last book. All in the book of Dvarim. One is extremely famous. You have it in Dvarim, Perik Hey, Pasuk Aleph. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. And to quote it, Vayikra Moshe kol Yisrael, this is the end of Parshas Veschanan, last week's portion. Moshe calls all the Jewish people after he goes through the history of the nation until this point. He says, Shema Yisrael asachukim vesamishpotim asher doivir, asher noichi doivir baznechem ayayim ulamadatem moisim ushmartem lasoisim. I want you to hear all the laws that I teach you, that I share with you, that I talk, that I speak into your ears today. Learn them and keep them. And this is, of course, a prelude to him communicating the events of Sinai and the Ten Commandments. Hashem made a covenant. He didn't speak only to our fathers. He spoke to you face to face. And Moshe begins repeating the Ten Commandments for the second time. Anoichi Hashem alekecha as an introduction to Capturing what happened at Sinai, he says the words, Shema Yisrael. That's Parshas Ve'eschanam. You have it once more. The second time is the same portion, one chapter later, Perek, Vav, Pasuk, Dalet, and everybody knows this one, Shema Yisrael, Adenoi Eloheinu, Adenoi Echad, the beginning of what we call the Shema, it's called Shema because Shema Yisrael, Right, I'm sure you know that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our guard, the Lord is one. You see the two Shema Yisrael that we heard? One was Shema Yisrael, remember what happened at Sinai, he goes through the Aseris Adibris. One is Shema Yisrael, Hashem Alekeinu, Hashem Echad, in the same parsha. If you go to the next Shema Yisrael, it's a few chapters later, Perik Tes, which is already Parsha's Ekev, this week's parsha. Perik Tes, Pasuk Aleph, and of course, that's the Shema Yisrael you just heard. What's this Shema Yisrael? Shema Yisrael, you're going into a danger zone where you have heard and seen and know very well where everybody said, there's no way you can beat these guys. These cities are fortified. This is the third Shema Yisrael in Chumash. And then there's a Shema Yisrael, many chapters later, close to the end, not well, in the middle of Dvarim, Parshas Shoftim, chapter, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 3. And this is another very interesting Shema Yisrael, similar to this third one. 
Moshe speaks about Jews going to war, and on the way to war, the Koyan stands up and must say, Shema Yisrael, Atem Krevim Hayom L'Molchama, you're going to war, Al Yerach Levavchem, Al Tiru, Al Tachbezu, Al Tartzu Mipneim, don't let your, your hearts become mushy, don't get terrified, don't get overwhelmed, Hashem Elekechem, Hoylechim, Ochem, Olechem, Lechem, Mevechem, Lechem, God is walking with you, that's the fourth Shema Yisrael. The one we're discussing in Akiv is number three. It follows after number two and number one. Number one was a prelude to the Ten Commandments. Number two is Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. That was the last time he said Shema Yisrael. Listen Israel, God is one. Now he uses the same dramatic opening. Shema Yisrael, but what's his message? You're crossing the Jordan to enter into a land where there are nations bigger, taller, mightier, stronger than you. Almost as though these are the two most important things for the Jewish people to hear. Another fascinating thing is, Moshe adds these words. He says, it's a colossal nation, a towering nation, children of giants, about whom you have heard, and you know that it's been said, nobody can stand up against them. Moshe, who is he quoting? Who said this, that nobody could stand up against them? Who? Moshe is saying those words, Atta yadata, you know, v'ata shamata, you've heard. Who can stand up to these giants? He's explicitly bringing back the memory of the trauma of all those who convinced you. And you know it. He said it like you really know it. It's not as you heard it, you know it. Almost agreeing with it, or maybe agreeing with it. It's impossible to stand up to them. Why would he try to arouse this devastating fear once again? Now, the timing is what makes it so powerfully enigmatic. When is he saying this? Literally days before they have to do it. Not... And it'll be in 10 years from now, you'll forget. Moshe is speaking the last weeks of his life. He starts speaking Rosh Chodesh Shvat. This is a few weeks or a few days, depends on the exact date he said it, before they're entering the land. Literally, to evoke such anxiety, such terror, such dread in them. But the real question comes when we realize what happened just a little while ago in Parshas Matos. Do you remember the story? Two tribes, the tribe of God, the tribe of Reuven, came to Moshe. They asked him if they could settle in the Transjordan. They have so much cattle, so many animals. They need the room to graze. They need all the vegetation and produce and all the pasture. pasture. And therefore they want to settle on the eastern side of the Jordan, not cross the Jordan. What was Moshe's response? Moshe was so perturbed. He was so upset. Moshe gives them, I believe, the longest speech that you have in Chumash. Moshe was concise. He didn't speak for long. Moshe gives them the longest rush. And what does he tell them? He tells them, you're repeating the same crime 
that your fathers, the previous generation has done 39 years ago, you're striking fear into the hearts of the people. Only when they take upon themselves that they're going to go in and they're going to fight and they're going to battle, they're not going to stay here, and then they'll go back and settle it. Does Moshe consent? Moshe does the same thing here. He says terrifying words about the dangers of the enemy in the land. Moshe is not chastised. Now, of course, we shouldn't overstep our boundaries. Moshe is not coming to the same conclusion as the spies. The spies said the cities are ter- are fortified. There's giants. The people are mighty. And therefore, therefore we can't ascend. Moshe's conclusion is, of course, an opposite conclusion. They said we can't go. Moshe said, Hashem God will pass before you and you will subdue them. I got that. We know that. Moshe is not reaching the same conclusion. He's not saying it's horrible and therefore we're not going. Moshe says we're going. My question is why the need, if I could say it in simple English, to scare the living daylights out of them. Especially when you're taking a risk, is it not possible you're going to generate the same panic and the same distress that these people's parents experienced just a few decades ago, especially now that we know that anxiety can be genetic? <laughs> and what if the Jews say, Moshe, you know? In, in, in Gemara, there's an expression, Palgin and Debura. Palgin and Debura means sometimes you hear only half of a speech. Or as we say in English, you hear what you want to hear. You don't wait till the end of the speech, right? Everybody knows that. You hear what you heard, and that's what is, that's what's left. I know sometimes from my little experience with this, people tell me what they heard me say. I said, if you could have only concentrated for another 60 seconds before you got so upset at me, you would have realized what I said. But that's how it is, human nature. Palgin and Dibura, I hear what I want to hear. First, Moshe dramatically describes how terrifying it is. And then he says, but by the way, God, God will take care of it. And what if somebody didn't get to the end of it and he's already traumatized? Aren't you taking, aren't you taking a risk? There's also one fascinating expression Moshe uses and he says, Goyim gdoilim vatsumim mimeka. Nations greater and stronger than you. Mimeka means you. The spies use the words, Kechazak hu mimenu. They are more powerful, mimenu, than us. Moshe says, Mimeka. The spies say, Mimenu, more powerful, more powerful than us. So the, the equation of the two speeches, when you put them side by side and you read them, is mamish mind staggering. But it's in this very presentation and it's in repeating so many of the statements that were made by the spies that hurt Moshe so much and the Jewish people so much. It's in this very presentation of Moshe where one can appreciate the power and the compelling voice of Judaism. Namely, it's all about truth. It's all about MS, pure truth.
Judaism does not sell you the Brooklyn Bridge or the Tappan Zee and the GW while you're at it. Painting a rosy picture of reality. It doesn't manufacture fairy tales to provide people with false hope and quick feel-good tablets. Or to use the expression of the Gemara in Tractate Sanhedrin, Moshe Emes, the Seirose Emes. Moshe embodies truth, his Torah embodies truth. The hallmark of Torah and Moshe who embodies Torah, who is the great teacher of Torah, is Emes. Truth and truth and nothing but the truth. It seeks nothing but the truth. It will speak nothing but the truth. Torah is about reality. The word reality comes from the word real. Reality means the reality of existence, the reality of life, the reality of any given situation. It will convey truth about ourselves, about others, about the universe around us, about life, about the past, the present, and the future. So when Moshe wants to prepare his people to cross the Jordan River, he will not be there. He wants to prepare them to cross. He will not paint a glowing, fictional picture. He will not mislead them about truth or reality. He will tell it to them as is. Shema Yisrael. I want you to hear. You're crossing the Jordan. To meet and encounter nations more strong more powerful than you. Cities that are not only huge and colossal, but fortified all the way to the heavens. Because when you inspire people based on exaggeration or drama or fanfare or a suppression of facts, you may score some short-term benefits. But at some point, you lose credibility. At some point, you can't be trusted because when they, they, when they discover the truth, they might run away. They might back off. Moshe needed the people to know the full truth. And what's the true, what's the full truth? I'm God over You're encountering a colossal, a towering nation, childrens of giants about whom you heard about. Nobody could stand up to them. Don't delude yourself, Moshe is saying. Shema Yisrael. The mission that you face is tough. It's rough. It's dangerous. The natural view of things is you will fail. You will be unsuccessful. It will not be easy. You will face deep resistance outside and maybe deep resistance internally. You might wish to retreat. This is what Moshe says. And yet, he concludes and says, But I want you to know today, that it's God, Hashem, your God, who is passing before you as an Eish Eichla, as a consuming flame, to subdue that which you felt cannot be subdued. This is a tall order, Moshe is saying. This is not a short order. This is a grueling task. Maybe way above your head, Maybe way above my head. But I want you to know 
that God is with you. He will lead the way. And therefore, despite all odds, and all odds indeed, not fictional odds, real odds, you will triumph. Where do we see this so emphatically? I quoted Deuteronomy chapter 9, Akif. If you go just a few verses earlier, two chapters earlier, Akif, Perik, Zion, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 17, Moshe begins one of his speeches and he says, You might say to yourself, these nations are more numerous than I. How in the world will I be able to possess this land? Don't be afraid. Remember what God did to Pharaoh and all the Egyptians. Here again, we're struck by the same issue. Why mention that doubt will arise? Why not just, what do we call it, positive reinforcement, reassurance. Just get up and say, <laughs> It's going to be wonderful, it's going to be rosy. You don't know what the ice cream tastes like in Israel. The Strauss ice cream, the lafas, the flaffle, amachai, it's wonderful. It's awesome. What about somebody who was not afraid? Somebody who was, who was sleeping? Somebody who was fashlofen? Moshe says, let me remind you, I know that you might be thinking that this is impossible. I'm incompetent. This doesn't make sense. This is weird. It's almost like he's, He's evoking, evoking the fear. Just tell them. You could say the positive. Just tell the Jews. By the way, I want you to know not to fear. God has your back. Remember what happened in Egypt. But it's not what he does. He first triggers the feeling of uncertainty. Triggers the feeling of fear. But the answer is so important, so powerful, and so relevant. Moshe is telling them, I don't want you to feel guilty for experiencing doubt and uncertainty. You might say in your heart, this is impossible. This question, this fear, this dilemma is normal. It's obvious. You're entering into a very challenging situation. One that should naturally evoke the question. How? How am I supposed to do it? Yet I'm telling you, I know this emotion, it's normal. I would be surprised if nobody had it. But I'm telling you, loy sira mayhem, fear not, because your departure from Egypt was no smaller challenge, and the same God who was with you then will be with you now. What happened when the Jewish people heard this? When the Jewish people heard this message from Aisha, Shema Yisrael! You are facing an enemy that you know and many have said you will never defeat. What did they hear? This allowed them to feel much more empowered, much more invigorated. You know why? They knew exactly what they're facing. They knew exactly what to expect. They could now enter their mission with their entire being, with their full self, informed, cognizant of reality, aware. They can embrace their mission with a clear mind, with a sober heart, with absolute honesty. They knew exactly what they're getting into. Moshe's way of dealing with the spies and with what happened 39 years ago was not by denying reality and telling them those spies, Mishagoyim, delusional, a bunch of freaking dreamers 
who don't know what they're talking about, just heretics and atheists. Moshe did not sell them a fictional narrative because fictional narratives explode in people's faces. It would accomplish nothing. Moshe's message was the exact opposite. We all heard the claim that nobody can stand up to these giants. Yes, we can surrender to fear. That would be human, it would be normal. The spies did just that. They were overtaken by dread. But my boys, here is what I'm telling you. Your task is formidable. But the one leading the way is yet more formidable. You can do it, not because it's not hard. But because you are a people who can achieve things that are hard. You can achieve extraordinary tasks. You are a people who can confront grueling and demanding goals. You can accomplish what others would say, and you might say, seems impossible. Because God, the creator of the possible and the impossible, is right here with you. It's not just that he earned credibility. Such a leader you can trust. Such a leader is describing to you reality. It showed them their power. It brought out from them their strength. He taught them who they were and what they were capable of. He brought out the fire in them. Every person, every single person, every person sitting here, every person in the world, we each have our own promised land to conquer. Our dreams, our visions, our goals, in terms of ourselves, in terms of our loved ones, in terms of our communities, in terms of the Jewish world, in terms of the whole world. We each have our Jordan River to cross, our Yardin, that gulf to cross and route to discover our promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, our ultimate destiny, happiness, and mission. The obstacles, though, in so many a life are often formidable. Sometimes friends, mentors, colleagues, therapists, advisors, family members, self-help books, classes, lectures, retreats, websites, podcasts, you name it, will tell us the resistance is unreal, the roadblocks are in your mind, the fears are delusional, the apprehension is unjustified, you're just responding to your mother, to your father, to your brother, to your sister, to your past, you need some psychoanalysis, you need some vitamins, you need to grow up, you need to wake up, you're living in ah, some fictional nightmare reality. It's all everything, everything in the mind. You know, I'm reminded of that old anecdote. There was this Indian doctor who would always preach that all illness is in the mind. That's right. Very good. Okay, thank you, thank you. You know, I also say that sometimes, right? Okay, or maybe all the time. Fine. So I'm going to be making fun of myself a little bit now. So uh, this Indian doctor, you know, he meets this, this Jewish kid. He says, hey, wow, I haven't seen you since you were a little baby. When I moved, you've grown up. 
How was your dad? How was your mom? Yeah, they're fine. What about your uncle, your aunt, next door neighbor? He says, oh, my uncle is very, very ill. My uncle is really ill. He says, well, you go tell your uncle that he's not ill. It's in his mind. He thinks that he's sick. It's all his thoughts. He thinks if he stops thinking that he's sick, he won't be sick. He says, can you repeat that again? Yeah, he says, go tell him in my name that it's all in his mind. He thinks that he's sick. Okay, I will. If that's the reality, that's the reality. He leaves. A month later, he meets this fellow. The guy says, "New, tell me, how's your uncle? He says, my uncle thinks he died. (laughs) Now, like in everything, when it comes to emotional well-being, to emotional growth, spiritual growth, Sometimes it's a productive approach to help people study their minds. It's always a helpful approach. And see where I may be inventing or exaggerating and creating a drama that is unnecessary. And dealing with that may make things easier. But not always. Because when we convince ourselves that something is not hard that something is not formidable. There is that process. You have it even in psychology, what is it called? Uh, cognitive, uh, see, uh, no, 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 no. See, uh, CBS, cognitive behavior psychology, where the idea is every emotion comes from a thought. And we spoke about this many times. Every emotion is born from a thought. And sometimes you got to work with those thoughts and challenge those thoughts and those mindsets. So, uh, yes, for some reason you think that there's a lion coming through the door. Picking up that call is mamish like confronting a lion in the jungle. But it's not. It's just a small, frail human being who in your mind is a lion. That is a helpful approach and sometimes it's very helpful. But you'll notice that sometimes a health bupkis. They say in Yiddish, a health of kadachis, meaning it's useless. It's futile. Your mind is playing games with yourself and you're in the same vicious cycle. You're telling yourself, oh, it wasn't so bad. It, well, yeah, really, but it was. No, it wasn't, but it was. It's not scary. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. No, it, for the next 24 hours, all you're thinking about is the battle in your own mind and your whole cognitive behavioral work is really futile. But there's something of another approach that is sometimes extremely powerful and valuable. Because when I convince myself that something is not hard, when the hardship meets me face to face, when I discover how difficult it is, it sometimes becomes so overwhelming and I run away, I surrender to despair. What Moshe does here, he says a very different message. Sometimes it's not in your mind. Sometimes the task before you is very difficult. It's hard, it's very hard. But there's a different question. Who says you're not capable of achieving daunting tasks? Who said that you can't climb fortresses even if they're reaching the heavens? Not only does Moshe say the cities are big and fortified. He says, I'll tell you the truth. It's fortified to the heavens. you got to climb to the heavens to overcome those fortresses. But if you can realize that God is with you, that God is past, not only holding your hand, he's walking ahead of you. Then you can stare the bull in the eyes and you could say, this is scary. 
This is unnerving. Every part of my heart is saying, no, go away, go, don't talk to this person, don't make this call, don't go to this meeting, don't confront this situation, don't sit there and look at this person with your eyes, run, run, go to your bedroom, lock the door for three weeks and disconnect the phone and the internet. Yes, yes, my dear heart, I understand you. Even Moses understood you. That heart is screaming. This is a lion. And every therapist in the world could try to convince me, you're delusional. This is what my heart is telling me. Right, wrong, partially right. Maybe wrong, may even be right. It may actually be 90% right. It may be 100% right from that perspective. Acknowledge it. Respect it. Pay tribute to it. As Moshe did. Listen to it. Shema Yisrael. Listen to it. It's very unnerving. It's very scary. You know what? But I can take it on. I am not defined by it. I know that God is firing the shots. And what I have to do is, I have to hold on tightly. Is my heart screaming, this is crazy, insane, it's terrifying? Of course it is. You know why? Maybe terrifying. At least from what your heart knows about life. It's a tall wall. It's a tall wall. It's impossible. You know? Yeah. It's impossible. That's fine. Respect it. But now go ahead. It's tough. There'll be a thousand voices in your head that will explain to you why you should back off. Why you should not do this. You cannot have this conversation. You cannot confront this person. You cannot deal with this marriage, with this child, with this relationship, with this job, with this encounter, with this person, with this experience, with this past story, with this future. I can't. It's just too hard. Let me just, let me just go get a coffee and forget about it. Maybe a cup of pina colada. I got it. I got it. Respect it. It's normal. Of course. Of course it's unnerving. It's maybe contrary to how you lived for 40 years. And it's maybe voices that are entrenched from childhood so, so deeply. And I don't know if at this moment, maybe if you sit for 60 years, you'll be able to get rid of it. It's almost irrelevant. Who said that when something is fearful and seems terrifying, does that mean that I have to worship that? And that becomes the only parameter of reality. It's a voice. And now I tell you, but God is with you. And Hashem is not defined by that trauma. He is not defined by that fear. Person says, I haven't spoken to this person in 20 years. Somebody called me, they haven't spoken to a sibling in decades. This one needs to fix a marriage. This one needs to fix a relationship with a sibling, with parents, with children, with a son-in-law, with a daughter-in-law, with a brother-in-law, with an uncle, with an aunt. It may seem torturous. Going into this meeting is a nightmare for you. Sending this email is scary. Seeing this person at Shevabroch is frightening. I'm asking myself, or Hashem is asking of me, to do things that generate such deep resistance. And the whole, my innards, my kishkas are screaming, never, never, never. You know what I'm talking about? Huh? 
At least somebody knows what I'm talking about, yeah? You also know what I'm talking about? Thank you. <laughs> I needed that validation. I just wanted to make sure. I'm not the only one with these stuff in Muncie or in New York. <laughs> and this voice is as real as it gets. Never. I'm not going there. And your whole heart is filled. What is it called? Those, but, those butterflies. And you could sense it instinctively. And nobody else will know it, but you know it, and intellectuals and sober, smart people will give you all the insights in the world, but those insights cannot cleanse me from that experience, from that instinct. And then you look at Moshe Rabbeinu's speech and you see how he speaks. He does not tell the Jews, it's just fiction. (laughs) You have been looking, you have been listening to the wrong news. By the wrong, listening to the wrong broadcasts, you're going to the wrong shiurim, you're reading the wrong books. I don't know who's been talking to you. Let me tell you, everything is rosy. And if you think it's not rosy, then you need to really change your whole mindset and your whole attitude and your whole composition. Here, what he's telling them is Shema Yisrael. You are entering into a grueling challenging war zone. And I know that the heart will say, no, this is impossible. Those emotions are real in their own way from their perspective. They really, really experience cities that are fortified, reaching the heavens. They really see an impassable task. They are screaming for their life and they are terrified to their core because for those emotions, this is a suicide mission. And we all know what that means when we are asked or we know there's a conviction or a value that I have to confront something that is just too terrifying. Moshe will not tell them, Torah will not say it's a journey. All of life is a journey through la-la land. Faith is bliss. And everyone who disagrees is just ignorant and clueless. Every day has moments when I can throw in the towel. Don't be disturbed. Don't be demoralized. Moshe tells you, you'll have challenges and demons and inconsistencies and weaknesses and disturbing voices with the common denominator of saying, these are giants, don't go there. These skeletons are beyond you. The resistance is awesome and powerful. But I say, God is with you. Hashem is with you. He's right ahead of you, saying, Come, my kind, come, my child. The difficult, General Montgomery said, the difficult we do immediately. The impossible takes a little longer. It's impossible, I know. You're feeling impossible. But come, who said you're not capable? Of the impossible. You can pave a road in the jungle of your psyche. You can pave a road in the jungle of history. It's summertime. It's the season of hiking. People are hiking here. People are hiking all over the country. People are hiking all over the world. So last year I was in, uh, where was it? The Colorado Rockies for a program, a KMR program. And one day, there was a group who was going on a hike, and they asked me if I would like to come along. I said, sure, 
absolutely, it sounded interesting. And I geared up for the hike, and there was a tour guide, and we asked the tour guide to tell us a little bit about what's expected. And he says, oh, this is nothing. It's an easy hike. It's no big deal. You'll be there and back in no time. Just a little exercise and nice scenery, and you'll see God's world, and you'll enjoy it very much. The bottom line is, it's easy, which was a very inviting word for me personally. <laughs> it it suited my taste buds. And uh, the tour guide meant well. He was trying to ease my apprehension and maybe some other alt, uh, whatever, I, thought, I don't want to use the word, but some other people, they was trying, to, you know, to, to calm us. This is an easy hike, it's no big deal. But then well, we embarked on the hike, and we began. And suddenly I found myself on a steady, deep incline for miles on rocky terrain. Easy to slip in a moment. And it was in a sweltering, smoldering heat. The sweat, the blood, the tears, the anxiety, the dread, the despair, all converged into one extraordinary, distasteful challenge. Not only did I not trust him, <laughs> not only could I not trust anything he said, something else happened. I realized that it sapped me from my vitality. It was like a demoralizing experience. And I said to him, I said, this is how you do it. That's not how you do it. This is how you do it. You look at the group, you look at everybody in their eyes, and you say, this is a grueling hike. This is a tough hike. The terrain at times can be torturous. But I promise you, you can do it. I will help you. I have water for you. I'll be here with you. And by the way, there is wildlife here too. Which was also true. But you know what? I have 41 years of experience on these paths, on these hikes. And I want to tell you, when you do it, your body and your mind will be forever grateful to you, Rabbi YY. And you will discover what you're capable of, which you never knew. You will thank me for the opportunity. It will be a growing experience. Get out of your comfort zone. Get away from the mics and the videos and the WhatsApps. And get in touch with reality the way God created it thousands of years ago. Now, he earned my trust. But it's not only he earned my trust. I know that he's not lying. Something else. He allows me to be fully present in the reality. To be cognizant of what I'm entering into. Even more, he allows me to identify my true inner resources of resolve and courage. I can identify that and I can say, this is what I'm going to be going with. Because I know it's hard. And every part of my body, every fiber of my being, every bone is going to say, no, go home. Lunch is being served. Lasagna. Eggplant parmesan. Iced coffee. And to ease the guilt, salad. You'll have a few vegetables and you'll say it was a healthy lunch. That's the natural way to go. That's where God is in the lunchroom. Come on. But if I can identify and say, I know my body is resistant, but what I need here is real courage. And then when I discover the hardship, 
I don't have to flee emotionally or physically. I expected it. I knew what it was. Somebody once gave me a book called The Road Less Traveled. Scott Peck. This was many years ago. I opened it up. The book starts with these words. Life is difficult. And he continues. This is a great truth. It's one of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because the moment you see this truth, you can transcend it. Once you truly know that life is difficult, once you can understand it and accept it, then life is actually no longer so difficult. Because once it's accepted, the fact that life is difficult doesn't matter anymore. We often tell ourselves, or we tell others, or others are telling us, life is not difficult. (laughs) It's not, it's not, it's garnished, it's garnished. What are we then doing most of our life? We're trying to suppress the feeling that it's difficult. Because we don't want to look at ourselves as crazy and insane, the only losers in town. So I'm basically trying to suppress that feeling that it's difficult. Or, or if I'm not doing that, I'm feeling guilty about the fact that I feel that life is difficult. So most of my life, I'm either busy suppressing the feeling that life is difficult or feeling guilty and horrible. Why am I such a sick person? Why am I such a person without a muna, without betochen, no faith, no trust? Why am I such a lowly, brute, insensitive, materialistic, selfish person that I'm telling these words to myself? And what happens is, this root or that root, None of these allow us to actually have the freedom to pursue our values and life's goals because much of our goal becomes subconsciously to suppress that feeling or to deal with the guilt that comes with that feeling. We're too busy arguing with ourselves. How many of us are arguing with ourselves It's not difficult. It's in my mind. It's delusional. I'm convincing myself that I shouldn't take it to heart. It's nothing. It's a joke. Everybody says it's a joke. A thousand people did it. You're the only Meshuggah. It's not what Moshe tells the Jews. Completely different path. What if I could tell myself, you know, life is difficult. This is challenging. It's hard. For me, for me. I don't know for you, but for me, it's difficult. The hike is difficult. This telephone call, difficult. This meeting, scary. This conversation, overwhelming. This task ahead of me, frightening. If I could tell that to myself, and if I could look at myself and say, life is difficult. It's difficult. Not all of it, but a lot of it is difficult. You know what happens? It actually becomes so much less difficult. Why? Because I can embrace it with a certain sense of purpose and joy. I'm not busy trying to deny the difficulties. So much of the pain of life, listen to what I'm telling you now, so much of the pain of life is 
denying what I know is true. The pain of the guilt that I'm the only one who thinks things are hard. Or the pain of repressing something that is there and I'm not giving it a voice. Get it out. It's difficult. A lot of things are difficult. Sometimes dealing with children is very difficult. You want to sit and sob and cry. You don't know what to do with yourself. Sometimes a relationship is difficult. Sometimes an emotion is difficult. Sometimes there's something you have to deal with from the past or the present, and it's difficult. Embrace it, acknowledge it. That's what Moshe did with the Jews. These are, this is a giant. I know the voices you cannot win. You cannot stand up to these giants. That's what it is. It's really difficult. But you know what? That's exactly what your soul is capable of doing. It's capable of going into difficult situations that are difficult, that are challenging, that are toxic, that are not easy. Knowing you're a piece of God and Hashem is always walking before you when you're going in the direction and the course that He defined, that Hashem defined for you, as in this case, that you're going into the promised land. I see it so often when it comes to dieting. Some people say, and I also try this, I don't really like sugar. I really don't. You know why? I read all these articles. You know what they do to me? They're mummish, they're mummish killers. By the way, I don't even like carbs. I don't like, I used to, but that's when I was stupid. Now I'm much more educated, I'm intelligent. I don't really like these stuff anymore. Good luck. Good luck. And suddenly I'm at a bar mitzvah. I didn't eat all day. There's a smorgasbord. And you know what? I love it all. I don't know. It's called love at first sight. I thought the love was gone. It's all there and it's powerful. (laughs) And you know what happens? My entire diet is gone. It collapses. Much better to say this. Ooh, do I like sugar. (laughs) And I love carbs. Of course, if I was an angel in heaven, I wouldn't. Maybe if I grew up uh, macrobiotic like my wife did, I also wouldn't. But I didn't. I grew up in Brooklyn. My house, nobody knew what macrobiotic is. I still don't know what it is, but I heard about it. I like it, I love it, I'm crazy for it. Every taste bud is like, this is the best thing, this is the Messiah, you eat this and Mashiach arrived for six minutes. And then I could say, yes, it's a strong craving, but I am stronger than the craving. God is stronger than the giants. They're powerful, they are powerful, but I am more powerful. Not because they're not powerful, not because they're not scary, because I could confront fear because Hashem is with me. Darizal writes in the Sefer Eitz Chaim, he says these words, Oilam haza, I quote, This world is full of husks, it's full of cover-ups, it's full of shells, it's full of lies, it's full of deception, and negativity prospers. Why would he say this? 
to create pessimism, to create people who walk around with bowed heads, feeling sorry for themselves? No. He says it to empower. When you can understand what the world is, when you can fully accept it, you can transcend it. When you don't accept something, you don't transcend it because you become a victim of it. And we have to understand this. Sometimes it looks like if I don't accept it, I transcend it. It's not that way. If I don't accept it, I actually can't transcend it because I denied it. So where am I transcending it? It actually is hidden in me. I'm not transcending it. Or I'm so busy feeling guilty about not transcending it. When I can accept it, when I can look at it, when I can see it, say yes, yes, yes. You know what you can do? You can transcend it. When you can say life is difficult, life can become fun. Life can become exciting. Even difficult things can become fun. That hike, that hike. Right? Imagine, you ever know, you know these family trips? Remember the old family trips in station wagons? Right? Chalamoya to Ringling Brothers with hard-boiled eggs and pulkas and watermelon. It was before watermelon. We weren't healthy then. Pulkas and hard-boiled eggs and matzah and bananas. You remember? Watching the tigers and the elephants, yeah? And the whole Ringling Brothers, the whole circus was filled with pulkas and hard-boiled eggs on Chalamoya Pesach, Right? And it's a hot day, and of course the air conditioner was always broken those days in the car, even if you had an air conditioner, right? So you tell your kids, we're going on the funnest trip, the funnest trip in the world, you're going to love it. And when do they start complaining? The moment you walk into the car, they're already complaining. Ma, why are we doing this? Why can't we stay home? Taking the whole family on a vacation, it's costing thousands of dollars, but the kids are complaining. You didn't let them transcend the difficulties. What if you make a family meeting and you say, listen guys, this trip is going to be grueling. It's going to be hot. It's going to be uncomfortable. If I were you, I would say, Tati, Mommy, let's stay home and play Monopoly and do marshmallows on the stove. But if you guys really want, we'll be sports and we'll do it. And the kid's like, yeah, 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 we're doing it, right? Nobody will utter a peep. Not because it's not difficult. You gave them the ability to make space for it. It's difficult. And then to choose. You understand what I'm saying? This is very deep. Sounds simple. It's not so simple. You let them accept it so they can transcend it. I didn't make it roll. No, it's challenges. It's true with kids on a Chalamoya trip or on a summer vacation trip to go to some water park or to the Pope, wherever you're going, to be with Hatzlacha and save. But it's also true with all the big trips that we adults make. (laughs) And they're also grueling. The car is hot. And the situation is hot, physically or conceptually. If you can accept that life is difficult, you can transcend it. You could say, yes, it is. And you know what? Hashem is with me. It's difficult. I want to cry. I want to surrender. I can't figure this out. What? How? You're right. You gotta climb a very tall mountain. God is right here with you. And that's why Moshe begins with the word Shema Yisrael. It's true individually. It's also true collectively. We have our challenges as individuals. We have our challenges as a people, as a nation. 
as they're entering into their promised land, Torah does not tell the Jews everything is sweet and dandy. There are obstacles ahead of you. There are nations who want to destroy you. They exist. They are powerful. But I want you to know you are more powerful as long as you're holding on to God. Shema Yisrael! His previous Shema Yisrael was what? Hashem Elekeinu, Hashem Echad, God is one. Well, if God is one, where's the fear? Where's the fear? Where's the difficulty? Where's the challenge? Suddenly there's a new Shema Yisrael. The new Shema Yisrael is taking Hashem Echad and allowing you to live with it for real in the real world. Not by denying what you see or feel. And not by feeling guilty for what you see and feel, which will basically cause you to spend much of your life trying to suppress or deny or feel guilty that you're feeling so much pain. No! Shema Yisrael! You're passing the Jordan River where you're going to find colossal resistance. You will face formidable tasks, daunting realities. Don't deny it and don't feel guilty. Embrace it, respect it. But remember, the world belongs to God and he is with you. I once heard from a Jew, Zatayid some of you maybe remember him, Rebzev Siegel. Rebzev Siegel was a long-time president of the RCA, the Rabbinical Council of America. And he was for many decades the rabbi of the young Israel shul in Newark, New Jersey. He has a son who's a very famous Askin and a Rav and Torah Messiah and other places. And he was a very well, you remember when he passed away, he was on a bridge, huh? it was a few years ago. He was a very prominent person. He was a renowned Jewish activist. And he worked relentlessly for Jewish causes and communities across the globe. He was a very passionate person. And he traveled extensively for Jewish causes. And I once heard from him, the following episode, I think he was a Talmud of Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik, and he was a young Israel, a rabbi for many years, president of RCA. And I heard from him once that the Lubavitcher Rebbe found out that Rabbi Siegel was traveling to a certain country. He didn't want to say which country, he said a certain country, which probably meant one of the countries that was behind the Iron Curtain, where it was very dangerous to uh, say anything or do anything that can uh, put you in Siberia for a couple of years. And the Rebbe asked Rabbi Siegel to come see him, and the Lubavitcher Rebbe asked him to undertake what he called a very difficult assignment. He didn't want to say what it was, he just says it was a very difficult assignment. And Rabbi Siegel told the Rebbe, I will do it, and I will get the job done. He arrived back in the United States a few weeks or a few months later, and he went to visit the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And he gave him a report, and then he said, I told the Lubavitcher Rebbe, I said, I want you to know, that it was not an easy task for Zev Siegel to do. And he said, the Rebbe became serious, and he looked at him, and he said these words, and then I'll, I'll translate it to English. He said, Reb Zev, Zint ven hat ir gemacht a kontrakt mit dem Riboiner Shaloylam as ayer leben soll sein gring. Since when, or when did you sign a contract with the master of the world for an easy life? That was the end of the conversation. And Rabbi Siegel said that that line 
not only stuck with him for life, it actually empowered him in an extraordinary way. Because he often was involved in tasks that were very difficult. And he remembered those words. Where did it say in your contract when you were born, God says, you only easy stuff. (laughs) You only easy stuff. Oh, this is hard? Oh, it's delusional. Oh, I am guilty. So I feel so guilty. I'm a horrible person. I'm the worst of the worst because I feel it's hard. No. Your contract never had a check on the word easy. Never had that. But Hashem is with you. You can do it. All great teachers, all great leaders, all great parents, all great educators, all great manhigim took their cue from Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moses. If most revolutions in history, if not all, most revolutions of slaves in history were inspired by one revolution, the revolution of Moshe against Pharaoh in Egypt, the, the slaves in the south sang so many songs and the hero of the songs was Moshe, Moses, who stood up to Pharaoh to get the slaves out. Leaders also took the cue from Moshe when it came to mobilizing people to do extraordinary things. Because you don't inspire courage, loyalty, and confidence when you deny terrifying facts. All you create is people who will never trust you. If that is your tactic, when the wind is blowing off your cover-ups, your people will desert you, you lost your credibility. Rather, you inspire strength, determination by telling people the entire truth and nothing but the truth, and then showing them that they have the tools to confront and conquer the challenge. Then you earn their trust. Then you also made them partners in your vision. You've shown them that you believe in them. You don't have to hide the truth from them, which will only blow up in your face and their face. You're my partner. You can deal with what I am dealing. You allowed them to discover also their true power. You taught them who they are, what they can be. You brought out the best in them and you inspired them to go for it. And when I think of such a moment in history, I think of the spring of 1940. The spring of 1940, Hitler was taking Europe by storm. Germany conquered Poland already in September 1939 and by now invaded Belgium, France, Luxembourg, the Netherlands. Chamberlain resigned in Great Britain. The Soviet Union was still at peace with Germany until June 1941. Roosevelt did not want to get involved in the war. In all of Europe, only one man stood up to Nazi Germany. Winston Churchill, in his first speech as Prime Minister of Great Britain after Chamberlain resigned, it was a speech that was given May 13. 1940, I quote, I would say to the House, as I said to those who have joined this government, I have nothing to offer but blood, toil, tears, and sweat. We have before us an ordeal of the most grievous kind. We have before us many, many long months of struggle and suffering. You ask, what is our policy? I can say, 
it is to wage war by sea, land, and air with all our might, with all the strength that God can give us. To wage war against a monstrous tyranny never surpassed in the dark, lamentable catalog of human crime. That is our policy. With this, he blew in, he infused the British people and troops, not with a sense of rosy, la-la lightness, but with a sense of power and urgency. When he said, an ordeal of the most grievous kind, lahavdil, it's almost verbatim, of what Moshe said to his people. And with these words, Moshe, and millennia later, Churchill, revitalizes a sleeping nation. He gives them the resolve they need, the confidence they need, the power they need for the next five years to defeat the greatest tyrant and monster in human history, Adolf Hitler, and the Nazi regime, Yamach Shemam. Had Churchill sugarcoated the challenge ahead, what would have happened? He would have dulled their strength, weakened their spirit, snuffed out their soul, drained them from their vitality by sharing with them the truth about the evil they faced. He didn't only earn their trust and their respect, he brought out their true power and resolve. They can actually spend time doing what they have to do, being what they have to be, not suppressing or feeling guilty about that which is natural. Seven years later, the Jewish people living in what was then called the New Israel, but was called Palestine for many years, followed one of the worst Arab attacks. This is May 14th, 1948. Many Arab nations are determined to decimate the little small yeshuv of the Jewish people living in Israel, numbering 600,000 Jews known as Malchemet HaShichrur, the War of Independence. Menachem Begin used the radio to share the following words to his people preparing for an Arab attack in May 1948. I quote, We shall go our way into battle, and we shall be accompanied by the spirit of millions of our martyrs, of millions of our martyrs, our ancestors tortured and burned for their faith, our murdered fathers and butchered mothers, our murdered brothers and strangled children. And in this battle we shall break the enemy and bring salvation to our people. Tried in the furnace of persecution, thirsting only for freedom, for righteousness, and for justice. This is how leaders inspire troops, based on how Moshe inspired his people. He did not promise them an easy ride. He told them exactly what's coming. But he gave them the confidence, the resolve, and the inspiration to take it in with full grace, courage, and unwavering determination. There are many unknowns in life. There are many scary things in life. I can't always deny them. I shouldn't always deny them. To you, it may seem like a joke, like a small thing. When a child, when a teenager, when a young adult who was abused by somebody has to confront the abuser, 
For me, calling the abuser and saying, why did you do this, doesn't mean much. But for him, or for her, it seems like the most terrifying moment in their life. It is really an act where they feel they're going to die. The fear is so deep, they get choked up, they feel a lump in their throat. They'll say, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I can't say, it's nothing. The whole thing is nothing. Eh, you'll get over it. That's cruel. It's clueless. It means I'm completely detached from their condition, from their experience. What I need to tell them is, what I need to tell myself, what we have to tell ourselves and our loved ones is, it's scary. It's powerful. But you have the tools to take the road less traveled and to enter into your promised land. Not because it's not scary, but because God is walking ahead of you. Have a wonderful week. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. I'm sorry about the air condition or the lack of. I feel so bad. No worries. Life is difficult, but this should be the greatest difficulty. I sweat with air condition too, but thank you. <laughs> this is how I get, so instead of a hike, this is instead of a hike. You're welcome. You're welcome. You're welcome. Mazel tov for the upsharnash. Bruchim aboyim. Oh, women, 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 important. Please remember the next two weeks. I'm hiking. <laughs> next two Tuesdays, no class. Please tell your friends or relatives. Okay? Please remember next two Tuesdays, there's no class. Should be a good to better for you and the home Mishpacha. Lori, today is the yard set? Today, Mamash, both. Oh, wow. Wow. Amen. Gamata. Hatzlacha. I'm going to Eretz in two weeks for all the holidays. Shia Batzlacha Rabba. Amen. Gamata. Gamata. Batzlacha. Sudas Toivis. Shanatova. Lachalam Mishpacha. Baruch Hashem. Thank you. Should be with Hatzlacha. Remember, when you're doing the right thing, Hashem is there. That's the power. And then you could deal with fear. Thank you till next summer. Okay. It's a pleasure and honor to have you. A pleasure and honor to have you. I teach all these partials. I never anything at all. Okay. I can't thank you enough. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. I know what you get goes to many, many students. Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. You know, your, your message of, um, of telling the truth is so real with children. Oh, yeah. So, you know, sometimes there are oh, different yeah. issues in the family and you don't tell the children the truth. Yeah. And then when they find out, you've lost their trust. Yeah, yeah. They don't forget. And it happens, it happens all the time. Yeah. Because we try to cushion them so they yeah. couldn't see the harshness yeah. in life. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, also, sometimes a child is facing something and when we could tell them... It's difficult, but you can do it. You know, Hashem is with you. It's very different than when we say, yeah, it's nothing. So this, record, this is recorded? It's yeah. on the... It's online. It's online. You know, as you were talking... It's online already. Okay. How do we want, like, maybe listen... To it's live also. How does that work? You could like, stream it live. It's no, all live. In, in a car, now it's recorded. In a car also. As long as you have a connection. Yeah, if you have a... You go to dot net. Is a, a, you'll see a women's class. Yes. You press and it's live. Great.
beautiful. We listen to your client. We drive a lot to Florida back, and you're our entertainment. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's like 30 hours? Thank you. Almost, yeah. Okay, and it doesn't put anybody to sleep. Not at all. It keeps us up. (laughs) Okay, I'm flattered. Thank you. The greatest compliment I got from somebody here is he told me, that he used to dread traffic. It drove him crazy. Oh, now, he so now he hopes the traffic doesn't stop so he, he can finish the shield. I can believe that. You know, that's talking, a compliment. That as is. you were talking about the difficulties in life, I was thinking about Shalom when he talks, because yeah. that's what he says. Yeah. He says, I know Hashem is with me. Hashem loves me. Yeah. And that's, yeah. Yeah. I, I was thinking about that was his driving yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. force, his driving is Kayach. To, to get him through it. He, he, like, he didn't deny it. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.